an honor to be with you. It's an honor to be here in North Hills. It's an honor to stand behind God's Word and proclaim it to you this morning. And today is, um, I won't say it's extra special because every time we gather is special, but today is September the 11th. And if my calendar is correct, according to John McCartney, this is the 11th year uh, that North Hills has been gathering, and its first Sunday was on September 11th, 11 years ago. So that, you know, really has me present this morning with our text and what we're going to be talking about, uh, because originally I was supposed to preach on September the 4th, and that was moved, and, you know, as things get moved around on the calendar, uh, and the topic is gathering. So 11 years from the start of North Hills, here we are preaching on gathering. So I'm, I'm really excited to be with you. And at the same time, I want to confess that uh, Thursday night, I believe I was awakened three times with the terror of preaching this morning. Like literally, I was having, like an, I, I'm called a nightmare because I woke up really afraid of my inadequacy to, uh, to proclaim God's word to you. And so it's with that that uh, I ask you to pray for me as I preach and just know that uh, my hope is in him, that the word that you would hear this morning uh, it's his word and comes from him, and that God would uh, use it in your life in a mighty way. So with that, let's pray before we get started. Father, we just, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your people gathered, that you might be honored, that your word might be proclaimed, that your son's name would be lifted high. And Lord, by the miracle of your spirit, and the only way that you can, that we would come to know you more, that our lives would, uh, would exemplify you more, Lord, that we would model the life of Christ, not only individually, but as your body, your church gathered. So, Father, we, just, uh, we trust you with this time. I trust you with this time. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we will spend the majority of our time in Romans chapter 12. We do have quite a few texts that we will, we will go through. But I'm mindful this morning, as we talk about gathering, that we do live in a world where people deal with the difficulties of loneliness, and how loneliness really can plague the human life and the human heart. And I'm reminded of Proverbs that says that the fool alienates himself to his own destruction, that even apart from the, the spiritual necessity of the Christian, of the believer, to gather, there is just a foolishness to being alienated, to being alone, to not gathering. In fact, Proverbs going on to say that he quarrels against all sound wisdom. And often as we would, we would go to Hebrews chapter 12, uh, I mean Hebrews chapter 10, which I'll read here, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest, the house of God, let us draw near to the true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with a pure word. So since we've been redeemed, since we have a high priest, since we are part of the house of God, the body of Christ, the church, now let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. We can be faithful only because he is faithful. And because this is true, verse 24, And let us consider how to stir up one another with love and good works. How do we stir one another up? Verse 25, 
not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And I'm really always fascinated by the language of Scripture because we know it has, you know, the eternal intention of God the Father. And he could have said, uh, keep meeting together, you know, in a positive sense. But he says, not neglecting to meet together, which is the habit of some. And so it, it implies that there are those who are a part of the body of Christ who have a habit of not gathering. He's saying, don't do that. Don't do that. And even so, it's not a, it's not a thing that was like this, you know, in the early days of the church, and it's on a, it should be on the decline. He says, as the day draws near, do it all the more. So it's the idea that we are to continue to gather, and it's more and more and more. It's really important that his body gathers. And at North Hills, uh, I, I kind of think we, we have this, uh, is mission statement the right word? Gather, grow, give, and go. I kind of view it as, if you've ever been bowling with like a four-year-old, you know, and you have, uh, you, have the, you have the feeder that you feed the bowling ball into, and then you have the bumpers on the side. Like we kind of use this as bumpers. God's word feeds us and then gather, grow, give, and go helps the elders really just stay into focus on what we want to be about on a regular basis. And we're constantly reminding ourselves that gathering is important. God has instituted this in his word. That we want to be growing, not only in the faith and the knowledge of him, uh, but we want to grow as believers in his word. That we want to be givers, not just financially, and that's important. And James, I think, will be preaching and teaching on that here shortly. But that we want to give because he has given. And that we want to go because he has charged us to go, and going has an element of faith in it. But today we're going to spend our time talking about gathering. And if you're not new here, you probably are like, well... This is the 11th time you've preached on this. We feel like we've, we've got this covered. Why do we need another message or reminder on gathering? And I will tell you, even as an elder here at North Hills, wow, uh, it, a reminder that we definitely need. Mm, sorry. You know, God's Word is just, just full of, of, of an exhortation for the church, for us as one body. And so the, the title of today's message is The Body of Christ Gathers with Gifts of Grace. Gathers with Gifts of Grace. As Hebrews just laid out, we know that we need to gather. God has charged us to do so. So we're going to spend a majority of our time talking about how we gather. And what happens there, and that brings us to Romans chapter 12. And what I would like to do is I would like for you to turn there. I'd like for you to follow along with me, and I'm going to read the entire chapter, okay? And then we'll get into the rest of the message. So I'll give you a moment to turn to Romans chapter 12. And it's the Apostle Paul who is writing this, and he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and imperfect. Verse 3, For by the grace given to me I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. 
For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The Apostle Paul has said so much here in chapter 12, but it's speaking to the dedicated service of the believer as part of the body of Christ. And I want to go back to the beginning of the chapter where the Apostle Paul says, By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. To be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And I'm just going to be honest with you, like when I read the word worship, I can't help but think about Genesis chapter 22. So as, as Paul's writing here for us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, which is an act of worship, In Genesis chapter 22, I think we have this laid out for the first time that I can think of in Scripture. It's the first time I remember reading the word worship. In verse 5 and 6 of chapter 22, Abraham is on his way to offer up his son Isaac. And listen to what he says. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder, and we will worship. He's going to offer up his son. The the son that had been promised to him. And he says something really incredible here, which I think speaks to Abraham's faith. And he says, and we will return to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked together. So if you've ever just 
pondered, like, what does it mean to worship? I think oftentimes in, you know, the larger church nowadays, and I'm meaning the people who, you know, gather together under the banner of Christian, they often think of worship as, what am I getting out of this? What am I receiving? Oh, that really blessed me this morning, and I'm not saying don't be blessed, but that's often where our mind goes when we think about worship. Well, if the first time the word worship's ever used in Scripture is an indication of how you should view it and think about it, it's not what he's getting. It's what he's offering up as a sacrifice. But it doesn't stop there. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And then Abraham raised his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And this is just such a beautiful picture of Christ. This act of worship and how God spared his son and put a ram in his place. And we go to John 19, John chapter 19, verse 1. We see this picture again where it says, Pilate took Jesus and he flogged him and, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. Now we just read in Genesis chapter 2 where the ram was caught in the thicket by the horns. So we have this picture of the substitutionary sacrifice. You're going to recognize it again. Because it's going to be caught by the thicket around the head, the thorns. So we see this picture of, of the substitutionary sacrifice in Christ by bearing the crown of thorns. And they arrayed, uh, arrayed him in a purple robe. In verse 16, so he delivered to him, being Pilate, and him being Jesus. So Pilate delivered Jesus over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross. We saw that with Isaac, he was bearing the, the wood for the sacrifice. And they called the place the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him. And with, and with him two others one on either side, and Jesus between them. And so as we read in Romans chapter 12, when he says, offer yourself up as a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable in your act of spiritual worship, I don't want us to miss the weightiness of that statement. That our life should mirror the life of Christ. Not that we are to be nailed to the cross. He did that once for all. But we are to be willing to offer up ourselves, not thinking of ourselves, but thinking of others, as he did. We are to be living sacrifices because in his dying, Christ paid the price and made a way for us to live, to live a life honoring to God that is holy and acceptable. Not because of our doing, but because of his finished work on the cross. Jesus Christ is our qualification and our model for sacrifice. He gave up himself 
so that we should too offer up our bodies for the body, the church, the gathered body of Christ. So as we talk about the body, as we talk about the bride of Christ, I want to remind you who's writing this. This is obviously the Holy Spirit inspired, but through the Apostle Paul. And, you know, we, we see Paul as, as a great apostle in which he is, right? But I want to remind us of Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And this is where Paul is still called Saul, and he's on the road to Damascus. And here it says, But Paul still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord. So he's persecuting the church, right? He is actively, like, he's breathing. Like, this is like his life. This is what he's doing. He's breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord and went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus so that he found any belonging to the way men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he's actively seeking out men and women who trust the Lord, Jesus, and he wants to bind them and bring them to Jerusalem. So now on his way, he, excuse me, now as he went on his way, he, being Saul, which is Paul, approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now again, let's think about that. Christ is resurrected. But he's saying, Saul, you're persecuting me. And we just read, who was he persecuting? The church. But Jesus takes that as a direct attack and offense on himself. Why? Because you, we, are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Now think about Paul writing this. After having lived the life of a a persecutor of the church. And now he's saying, I urge you by the mercies of God. the redeemed people of God is the body of Christ. We are the physical and visible expression of God on earth. As though, as Corinthians says, as though he was entreating through us in the here and now. We are the body of Christ, each individually as its members, as we will continue to read here in Romans 12. So going to verse verse 3 in chapter 12 of Romans. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Each according to a measure of faith that God has assigned. Paul is saying, by grace and the gifts given to me. So he's literally modeling what he's about to say. He's not saying because I'm super smart and I figured it all out. And you really should listen to me. He's saying God gifted it to me by his grace. 
So I'm gifting it to you. So he's modeling. And he says, don't think too highly of yourself. Don't be puffed up. Don't be conceited. Don't think that you have got it figured out. You've got it all together. I, I love how he says, be sober or do it with sober judgment. Like the opposite of that is, don't be drunk on yourself. Like, like think about what's running in your mind all the time. Is it you? Is it about you all the time? If so, you may be drunk on yourself and not thinking as the Christian should think, which is not too highly of yourself and with a sober judgment. Why? Because God has given to each of you according a measure of faith. A measure of faith. Now, in a, in a unit of measurement conversation, that means that John has a different amount than I've got, Right? And Ryan has a different amount than I have. But the amount that I do have isn't mine. It was gifted to me by God. So at what point can I look down on someone else? If what I've been given is a gift. I don't get any glory. God gets the glory. And thank God he does. Because we don't do well with glory. We are not to think too highly of ourselves. We're to have sound judgment and knowing that any good that is within us is from Him. And that is to cause us to worship. Right? Don't be drunk on yourself. Be sober. Be clear-headed on how to judge yourself and to judge others. If someone's not where you're at, don't look down on them. Get low with them. As actually Romans goes on to say at the end. Because what they have, if it's any good, has been gifted by God. According, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. This is really important when you're thinking about a bunch of individuals who have sinful flesh who want to gather together regularly. Because it would be real easy to start Judging one another. Right? So Paul starts off. Be sober-minded. Don't be drunk on yourself. What faith and gifts you have, God has given it. And we don't all have the same amount. And, as we're going to continue to read, we don't all have the same gifts or functions. Verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and... The members do not all have the same function. Verse 5. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Individually members of one another. This morning, as I was finishing my preparation for the message, and I was you know, thinking through, like I, I literally like drew out a body. and started, like, labeling the members, you know, and I wasn't very good at biology, but, you know, it's best I could. And I looked over, and I had this cup of coffee, right? And I just made it, a little steam coming up, and and it's like 5.30 a.m., so it's a really good cup of coffee, right? (laughs) And my eyes see it first, and I was like, okay, like, I'm, I'm 
I'm in this thought of the body, right? And it's many members that individually make up. And my eyes look at them going, that looks like a good cup of coffee. And my mouth starts to salivate. You know what I'm talking about? Like, ooh, yeah, like, drink it. And it was nothing my eyes could do to drink it. Nothing that my mouth could do. I had to involve a hand. And my hand reached for it, and, and, the, and the whole body got to benefit. But we're, we, we make up one body. The body is Christ, but we all have different functions. And the eye can't look at the hand and say, well, you're not as important as me. Or vice versa. The hand can't say to the eye, you're not as important as me. And I'm not going to turn there and read it, but you can read the examples that Paul gives that's very similar in 1 Corinthians. So we don't all have the same function and we don't all have the same gifts but we're a part of the same body our value comes from whom we belong think about this for a minute as we saw when jesus addressed paul he says you're persecuting me we understand that the church is the body of christ it's also the bride of christ So imagine looking down on the bride of Christ. Well, that's what happens if you look down on someone who's a part of that body. That really nailed me to the floor this morning, and I was thinking about it. Verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. I'm going to be a little bit of a resounding gong this morning. But I love the clarity that the Holy Spirit has given Paul here. He says, by the mercies of God. Like he is saying, remember, this is not originating from you. This is not you. This is by the mercies of God, through the grace given to me. God has allotted each a measure of faith, according that the grace is given to us, like reminding us over and over through each verse that these gifts that we have that are part of the function of one body are given from God. So if you have something about the gifts you do or don't have or the gifts that someone else has or doesn't have, your issue is really with the Lord. It's really with the Lord. And I urge you not to be there. But rather focus on the fact that He is faithful, He is good, And we are to be presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice, daily renewing our mind and not conforming to the world. As it was said uh, earlier in Romans 12. So again, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. That's profound, right? (laughs) Like, yeah, let's like actually use them. That would be really good. And to the benefit of others. <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to read real quick. I'm going to risk moving away from my notes for a second. Uh, Romans 15. I'll just start in verse 1. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weakness of those without strength. What does that imply? That implies that there will be t- times in life where someone's going to have something that I need. Or vice versa. I'm going to have something to offer that they need. And we're going to need one another. 
Let each of us please his neighbor for his good. I feel like we've heard that before. Love thy neighbor. Let each of us please his neighbor, not for our good, not for our benefit, but for his good, to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached thee fell upon me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instructions, that through perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures that we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant it to you, again, we're being gifted, granted, to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, that with one accord, again, oneness, right, of one body, one one body working together, even though we're different and many members, with one accord that you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What we've been given is not for us. It's for others. Again, I'm just going to Start at verse 6 again. Having the gifts that differ according to the grace that's given to us, let us use them. And then he says, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, and the one who teaches in teaching, and the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. I will tell you in uh, my studies this week, you know, they're not comprehensive. No one person can study comprehensively what i would tell you is that there seems to be a general you know just i don't know why we didn't get one big list of gifts it's like there's a list over here in romans there's a list over here uh in first peter and then corinthians and they're different like some mention this and some don't mention that and what's going on and i just think about the diversity of the lord and how First of all, just beginning with the fact that each gets a different measure of faith and then mix that in with a different set of gifts, that means like no one person is alike. And so to give just one single list would, I don't know, take the fun out of it. But Paul, for whatever reason, chose to mention these here, and that's fine. And I don't want you to get like wrapped around it. Thinking, why did he mention prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation? Uh, contribution, leading, or acts of mercy. Which one am I? Like, I, that's not the point this morning is for you to, to get lost on what gifts do you have or not have, but more so focus on the giver and that he's the one who gives and that whatever you do have is for someone else and not you. So if you have prophecy, you speak to the people for their building up and their encouragement. If you have service, you're doing it backtrack here real quick you're doing it in serving for one another if you're teaching you're teaching it for one another if you're exhort if you're doing if you have exhortation if you're exhorting you're doing it for someone else if you're contributing you're doing it at for generosity on the behalf of someone else if you're leading you're leading someone else if acts of mercy you're doing it cheerfully for someone else And you're doing it understanding that 
your role is is as one function for one for one body and that body is the body of Christ and so Paul reveals how we are to have unity within the body how we are to have unity within the body and it's through humility it's through humility not thinking of oneself more highly than he ought to think. And so if, if I'm a part of the body of Christ, that means I want to live like Christ. I want to be who I am. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And I can't help but think of like, okay, where in Scripture does it talk about what it means to be like Christ? And my mind immediately goes to uh, Philippians chapter 2. And I'm just going to read it because it's so good. Starting in verse 1, Philippians chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection or sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Man, you just, once you see it and hear it, You can't unsee it and unhear it. We're one body, one accord, one mind. How? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourself. Like, hear what I'm saying this morning. When you gather You're gathering for someone else. If you're thought of, I'm going to church to see what I can get, you're missing it. Guess what? You're not going to get it. And I think the Lord just, you know, He rigs it. Until you realize that it's for someone else, like you're not going to get it. And you're going to continue to try to pursue getting it, and you're not going to get it. And then you're going to wonder, why am I not getting it? It must be the church. You missed it. Any good that you have, He gives. And it's not for you. It's for others. And you do this by being humble. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Or yourselves. Let each of you, you know that many members that individually make up one body? That's you. That's who we're talking to. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, Hmm. Well, I have rights. I deserve to, you know, have whatever. Good music, soft cushions, words where I can read them. I don't know. what it, Whatever it is, I don't know. But whatever you think your interest is, it's important. No, it's about others. But also to the interest of others. Are you thinking about your neighbor? Are you thinking about what would edify them? What would please them? Like, he literally used the word please. That's weird. Like, are you thinking about your neighbor? Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. Paul's, Jesus Christ, the Lord of heaven and earth, 
who through whom all things were made, emptied himself of his rights and became a baby. Think about that. That is the definition of humility. He loved others enough that he gave up his rights. And, he, and that's the model. That's the model for the believer in the body of Christ. That we are to empty ourselves of what we think our rights are. Literally to lay them aside. To not grasp them. The truth is, is we don't even, like, what right do we have anyways? But he modeled it. And he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. So he died. Like, he gave his life as a sacrifice. And he says, now let me live in you and be a living sacrifice. Be a living sacrifice. And he died even the death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. I just got this thing that remind, that's just plays in my head. It goes, there's no other name in heaven that can save but Jesus. The name of Justin can't save anybody. It's just Jesus. There's no other name. And because of that, so that the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue confess that Christ, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we see that it's, this is what it means to be humble. What it means to not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. To realize that what good you have is from Him. No matter the amount. And the good news is, it's not the object, it's not the size of our faith that matters, it's the object of our faith. And Jesus laid this out. The faith of a mustard seed. Itty bitty. <laughs> right? It's not the amount, but the object in whom we trust. Because He is faithful. He is faithful. I'm mindful of the time. Now that you are aware of the gifts and you're aware of the origin and the power, let's love each other in the following ways. And we're going back to Romans chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 9, okay? Let us, excuse me, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I'm like, does this mean the competition's okay? I don't think that's exactly what it's getting at. Because <laughs> you want to do it, he said, genuine, humbly. But literally, like, make it a sport to outdo one another showing honor. That means you're thinking about somebody else and not yourself. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. I mean, this just, this just hits me different 
this morning reading this in light of being reminded of what Paul did to the church. He understands what he's saying when he says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. To associate with the lowly means you get down to their level. You don't look down on them. You get low with them. Uh, What did Jesus do? He emptied himself and he came to us. He got low with us. And he met us in our need. We are to model that, not only individually, but as the body. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men, with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Wait a minute. You want me to strengthen my enemy? This is the upside-down gospel. Like, what is this, confusion that we're trying to, to, like, to, you know, throw him off guard? If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. You got a co-worker at work that you just really don't like? (laughs) Like, this is just a, this is a not natural way to think about how to live with others. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So I'll wrap up with um, um, Paul's words. Is that me that's doing that? Okay, I don't know how I'm doing that, but I would like to stop. Okay, I'll, I'll be still. Uh, to live is Christ, as Paul says. He says, yes, I will rejoice. For I know that your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Why? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul goes on to say, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which, which, yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed begin the, uh, between the two. He's hard-pressed with the fact that for him to stay on the earth means that he'll have fruitful labor. Like he trusts that the Lord's going to use him for good. But he understands that to die is to be with Christ. And he sees that as the the greatest benefit, right? So he's hard-pressed between the two. So he says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. Like, I'm just going to tell you, I would rather be with him. For that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 through 25. Paul again goes on to say, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. 
Wait, so now, so now we understand he's, he's on planet Earth, and he knows his purpose. He knows he's here for others on your account, as he says. And then he says he's, he knows he's here for others, and he rejoices in suffering. Why? For your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church of which I have become a minister according to the stewardship of God that was given to me for you to make word of God, the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now to be revealed to his saints. Now, I'm going to sum all that up. Why am I reading this? So the Apostle Paul, who clearly understands that to die is gain, to be with Christ, he then gives us, the, to me, he reveals this mystery on why are you still here? Because the truth is, the moment you were redeemed, the moment you were born again, the moment you were saved and filled with his life and, and imputed with his righteousness, that part was finished. Amen. You're not going to make that better. He's already done that work. So why are you here? Are you here that you might improve yourself? The Apostle Paul didn't think so. He says, for me to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Like, I realize that the reason why the Lord hasn't taken me already is for you, not for me. And ultimately for His glory, that He may be more, made more known. And then He says that in His sufferings, He's making up what was lacking in the afflictions of Christ. For his body, that is the church. And I think this is, can be a pretty tough text to read because I just said it was finished. Like the work of Christ on the cross was finished. There was nothing else that's needed. And then I use a word like lacking in the suffering of Christ. Well, there's nothing lacking in the work of Christ. It is absolutely and totally sufficient. What is lacking is the fact that there are men and women walking around on the planet who don't see it. Who can't see it? So how will they see it? They'll see it in his body. They'll see it in the physical, visible expression of the fact that the Lord is reigning and we are his people. And we are to make up that thing that is lacking, the visible expression of Jesus. And that often happens through suffering. It happens through suffering. It happens when you're not living for yourself and you're living for others. This was a mystery that was hidden for ages and generations, but now is revealed to his saints. The fact that Christ lives within us, that we are his, that we, we have all that we need. And now we get to wake up every day knowing that because we have all that we need in him, that we can actually truly give ourselves to others. And so when we gather as God's people, we realize that what we've been given, what we have, they're from Him and they're for others. That's really hard to do alone. That's really difficult to do isolated. And as thankful as I am that that camera is rolling and we are live right now, that's difficult to do sitting at home watching behind the screen. You are meant for someone else. 
You were redeemed that God may possess. You're his. He bought you with a price and a great price. And now he wants to offer you up to someone else to be poured out as a model, as an example of his love. So that by some miracle, someone out there will come to know and to trust him by the work that he's doing through you for others. So why do we gather at North Hills? We gather because we're his body. And we gather for one another. And with that, let's pray.